welcome to the podcast, Aaron. Aaron, uh, you were a broadcast major. Yeah, my so. yeah, my degrees are in um, broadcast journalism and cultural anthropology. So okay. actually, when I moved to LA, I was pursuing a career in documentary filmmaking, and I still consult um, often for um, impact marketing with documentary films. But okay, so uh, so speaking in front of a microphone with headphones on is no big deal. No, it's you. not. Yeah, and You're I much appreciate this than um, when I was in broadcast. I was trained to be a news anchor, which is just terrible. Um, I, I have so much respect for news anchors because it's actually very difficult. And the craft of journalism, you lose it when you're an anchor because you're just fed it through a teleprompter and very very rarely do you get to edit your own content. So I got into journalism because I love the idea of interviewing people. Huh. And then I studied to be an anchor and I was on, I saw myself on television once. Not only do I have a nervous tick, which I did not know <laughs> that existed. Right. Um, I was just like, Oh no, I can't, I can't see myself having a career in this and watching myself. And I'm sure I probably could have gotten over it. Yeah. But, um, well, you have a very clear, strong thank uh, you. sounding voice. I actually, I actually feel like it's not like that when I'm an anchor. So yeah. I, I definitely, chose the the right direction i went on from anchoring to doing live interviews and then um just producing right and producing is uh really eventually how i um created luna impact was the skill set and you know network i built through production so well i want to talk about this so um the podcast i feel is about trying to speak to creatives djs musicians artists and sort of the impact of social media mm-hmm. that it's having on our lives. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I sort of focus on the negative, you know, pretty often just because I think interpersonally, communication wise, uh, the way we get to know people now is, is, is sort of shallow. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was fortunate to, I feel, grow up and live in a life before social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember not having a cell phone, answering machines, not having a phone everywhere with me. Yeah. You know, growing up without Facebook and Instagram and 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 I'm not saying one is better or the other because clearly technology is a, is an amazing tool when mm-hmm. used well and used to help inspire and to create and even to to be able to record a podcast is pretty easily is really awesome. Yeah. So, um, you know, I met you I feel like it was a year ago. A year ago in June, yeah, because it was the yin training. Yeah, we met at a yin, yeah. yin yoga training over yeah. at Yoga Salt, and I just I remember, you know, we're all in the circle talking about our uh, talking about each other, uh, and sort of why we're there and what we do for a living, et cetera, You know, outside of yoga, and I remember, you know, I mean, we we were next to each other and talked to each other, and I remember you mentioning that you were the owner of this mm-hmm. marketing company called Luna Impact. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that a fair description of what it is? We're more of a creative studio. Um, it's actually interesting because um, the company is currently undergoing a bit of an evolution. Um, I built the company through consulting and design. Um, so I, I myself am a producer and a designer, graphic designer, um, and, uh, what do you mean? Produ- like the word producer, uh, video, come- video okay. producer. Yeah. Video producer. Um, and, uh, in film, um, I don't really do film anymore, but I was really interested in film producing for a long time. But, um, okay. that aside, I built, uh, for years, I mean, this is going to take a while, but, um, for, it's okay. We've <laughs> like, got plenty of where time. do I start and what, what matters to this story? Um, 
I uh, worked for four years um, as the director of marketing and communications and eventually going on to run a, um, a small nonprofit that was an impact media agency. Well, let me just also yeah, yeah. step in really quick. You're, I was also impressed because you seemed pretty young. I, yeah. I guessed you were like late 20s, early 30s. You're 29. Yep. So you graduate. You went, you went to college. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And where'd you go to school? Uh, Reno, University of Reno, Nevada. Okay, and so you graduate, and what are you thinking when you graduate? Fuck, okay, so I, o- I owned another business in college. In college, okay. I owned a spray tanning business. Of course. And um, so Reno's right next to... I'm actually getting spray tanned right are now you? during this interview, so I appreciate it. You can't hear it, it's right. like great, great technology, yeah. you know, um... I uh, I lived so Reno's right next to the playa, so Burning Man. You know, I grew up with Burning Man all around me, right. and um, I had uh, uh, just various experiences with um, young college student, young women that were would go out to Burning Man. I made friends with some of them, and um, Burning Man's huge in Reno. Like all the sorority girls are burners. Like everyone, it, it's just a different kind of culture. Reno's um, like the closest big city to. Oh yeah. Burn- okay. Yeah. So Reno, Reno is the burner culture essentially. And when you're in college, you're a burner. Like if you're if you're part of that, you're a burner essentially. I I didn't I worked constantly because I had to pay my way through college. So I worked too much to be in that circle. But um, I want to ask about that later, (laughs) but I want to focus. But eventually, yeah, but eventually. So when I was uh, 19, I started my first um, small business. It was called Sultry Skin with two two ends on skin like my name. I love this story because it's so ridiculous. (laughs) Right Right now I would consult myself on past Aaron on my branding choice so much. But um, anyways, I uh, would connect with the sororities and I would spray tan all their sorority members. And uh, so wait, at the age of 19 yeah you're what are you thinking in the sense that i want to how are you coming up with this idea it was it's really just i would say my uh number one way i would describe myself as an opportunist but i feel like that can have a negative connotation i'm de- i'm definitely very loyal and ethical so i'm not just like an opportunist sure. you know I'm, yeah. I'm very selective about what i choose but i saw a market opportunity interesting um i got uh i was working full time at um a property management company and i worked there through college i started there when i was 17 um and uh while I was working there, I was just bored. I was going to school full time and I worked full time, but I wanted some other way to make money and some other something. I was always looking for something different. Sure. And um, and since you had to pay your way through yeah, college, you're probably yeah. thinking, what can I do to exactly. get some money on the side? Yeah. And-, and so I got approached to be a beer spokesmodel for a local beer company called Buck Bean Brewery. And I was like, okay, well, this sounds like a good avenue to like make extra money. Basically what we would do is we would go to beer fests and it's much different than like the Corona girls. Like we actually had like pretty conservative outfits, but it was more so about like the culture of beer and it Uh was canned beer. So the culture of canned beer, which apparently is a culture, but, um, (laughs) I meant uh, all other girls they uh, brought on were sorority girls. And um, I w- that was a very interesting thing for me because I, I didn't grow up like, like, I just, I'm not a sorority girl. I was never right. around lots of women. I always grew up around boys. And um, so it was just an interesting culture. And I meet these women and um, I, I thought, I, you know, I thought they were great. And um, they kept 
they were going and getting spray tans and spending so much money on them. And I was like, well, I could come to your plate. I just lied about having the skill. I was like, that seems easy. <laughs> right. And I went and I had like a hundred bucks. I bought a compressor from Home Depot. I ordered like tanning solution and I had a basement at the time and I like taught myself how to spray tan. And then I That's started amazing. spray tanning all these sorority women. And it started with like, Right before Burning Man, I, I basically printed out flyers at my other job and took them to campus and was like, sold your skin, like I'll spray tan you. And I started a spray tan business. And you were thinking... I was thinking about money. Yeah, but yeah. also, but beyond that, yeah, yeah. I was thinking... <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to very honest. Yeah. No, but that's fine. But yeah. I was even thinking you were thinking... Um, these women want to yeah. look tan and sexy yeah. because they're about to go to Burning exactly. Man. And more yeah. than likely, they're going to be taking lots of photos with their clothes off. Oh, yeah, and that kind of yeah. Thing. And they were already doing it. So it was like, well, I could do it cheaper. I could do more of them. Like, I could come to that. That was another thing is I was a tra- I did traveling work. Okay. So, like, they didn't have to go into a studio. And the big point was there was, like, two other women in town that did it. I mean, this is a small... This was a small city. And... um and so, yeah, I went and got one. I had never had one before. I went and had a professional one. So this is different than, um, they're not like the booths, you know, right. where you are. Like, this is a proper airbrush tan. Um, and so I went and got one a few times, and then I bought the equipment. I got everything up and running and got my business license within a month. Wow. Um, and then I started spray tanning um, the girls that were part of this beer spokes model. And then I knew I gave them free tans to refer their friends, and I just built, like, a tiny business. Um, I ran that for basically through the rest of college. I did that on the side while working full time and going to school full time. How do you like a mobile spray tan? So you're almost you have a pop up tent. Okay, yeah. a pop up tent. You need okay. you need uh, electricity, obviously. To sure. Plug in your. But I was just generator. wondering yeah. where you were doing it. Yeah, so. yeah. You have a. I had a pop up tent, and then okay. I eventually got. Um, uh, in a salon, I had like a booth in, in a salon that people would come to. Um, right. But that was just a part time. That was like my side thing. But it was exciting to see, you know, I grew up very poor and I worked very early and I, I've always money was always, you know, a problem growing up. And so it was and I think it was the first taste of like, oh, you see a market opportunity and you act on it. And if you deliver a good product and if you're honest, and if people like you, that's another thing is like, there was a few times where I had clients that weren't particularly happy with the work that I had done. And that was at the point where I was getting really stressed and like kind of rushing everyone. Sure. Um, they still referred people to me and they still came back to me because they liked me. Right. And so, um, but that was the first time, I think that was a taste of, you know, what it's like to, to be an entrepreneur and, and make something really out of nothing and see the potential of really the nice thing about it is that I could work as hard as I wanted to and I would get what I put into it. Yeah. Um, which I didn't see working a $14 an hour job working at a property management company. Um, and you I, probably were making pretty good money doing this, I imagine. For, yeah, I did about, it was 40 to $50 per person. And yeah. then I started selling packages. And I, it was really, it was like kind of like a baby case. It's a, it was very low overhead, very easy entry, you know, entry into the market. There were, there was little to no competition. And um, it was a, it was really a place for me to play with like, what is this idea of being a business owner? And um at that point, I was still had my eyes on the prize of like being a filmmaker or um, being a news anchor at that point. So it wasn't like an end game. It was just like, this is an interesting way for me to test how to be a businesswoman. woman. <laughs> 
yeah, so that was my first taste of that. So that your original question was what is what is Luna Impact now? And so where I was going with that is I like it's Luna Impact is ever evolving, um, but really 2019 has been focused a lot on honing in our skills into just creative. Um, a lot of the work I've done for the past six years I've lived in Los Angeles has been consulting, marketing consulting and creative consulting. Um, I serve as a creative director for about four different brands regularly, and that's actually how I pay to keep Luna Impact afloat and pay right. my contractors um, is through consulting, marketing consulting and design. Uh, and uh, in 2018, I started offering high-level uh, commercial and video uh, we started with um, a few smaller clients. And I come from a video background and my fiance's a director. My best friend's a DP. Like it was my in my circle already. So it was like, well, right. how do we package this and market it? And, um, and so basically we just started with small things here and there, studio, studio shoots. Um, there were, I had existing clients that I was the creative director for that I was like, you know what, I'm going to hire my own company to do video for them. So I was kind of double dipping on clients. They all knew, like they didn't care, but, um, it was a way for me to bring that money back into my own company as well. And, um, yeah, it started with smaller shoots and then it kind of snowballed from there. I, we had a few very big productions in 2018. And the interesting thing is, um, I, I don't, I don't think that while I was in 2018, I kept thinking we need to be doing more. We need to be doing more. What we're doing isn't good enough. And this really interesting thing happened when about two weeks ago, actually, I started to obviously prepare my taxes, which was (laughs) mind numbing and depressing. But at the same time, I was like, holy shit, we produced one massive campaign per month, which is like, I just started to look at it. And when you're in it, you're like, Oh, I don't fucking care about this. I don't blah, blah. like there were so many times where I'd be like video video is so time consuming. Mm-hmm. And as the person bankrolling it until you get that check from the production company or not the production, the client, like it, there, I, there were several productions I personally lost money on. And I'd be like, I would go through, Oh, well, if I'm not making money, what's the point? I could just be designing and consulting and I don't need to have all this. Right. It was like a constant identity <laughs> crisis of like, do you keep it? Do you keep it with you and just worry about you and, or do you worry about you and try to build this brand? And it was really like a, a duality that I was dealing with for much of 2018 and, and the beginning of 2019 rolled around and I started re-examining my portfolio and trying to clean things up. And then I started to put together my taxes and I was just like blown away at how much work we produced. And, um, I learned two lessons. Well, I learned several lessons from that. One is be better with your taxes. <laughs> sure. Uh, but I have a good tax account, so thank God. Um, and then um, another would be that take stock of the moments that, you know, while you're living and, and I, there, I, I'm sure there's a much more eloquent way to say this, but like stop and look at what you're doing and... Um, evaluate it and respect it and be be happy for what you have and I I felt like it was a year of practicing like I get to look at it and say you were miserable all all year thinking that your company wasn't where it needed to be right and then you get you go to do your taxes which is horrible way to find that out and and then you're you look at it and you're like oh my god we made so much money I mean not a shit ton of money but we did great and I and I looked at how many people I employed I employed 20 people last year regularly and I was like that 
that's huge for me. Like that I've never had that many people that I've provided jobs for and then clients for and all my clients were happy. But while I was in it, I was miserable. It's weird. It's weird how that happens. Give me though like an example of what you guys do for a client. Yes. Because when you say digital marketing, creative director, that can, yeah, that, yeah. can and vid- that could be so many different things. Exactly. So that that's actually why um, I'm narrowing down the, the services that we offer in 2019 because it is very up in there. Okay, so um, we do creative work. So why this is confusing when I'm saying this is because a lot of the work that we have done not recently, but in the past, our biggest campaigns have been client with clients that I was already serving as a creative director for. So me personally, I'm a creative director, which means I go into a brand. Oftentimes I come into a brand when they need help and their brand is like all over the map. They don't have a style guy. They don't even know what fucking font to use colors. They barely yeah. have a logo. It's not focused. Yeah. It's just, it's a, it's a mess. And, um, so I come in, I build out their, their brand um, or not really, I, they're very, I've, there's only been one brand that I built, but, um, I go in, I reevaluate it. I rewrite, you know, their, their messaging statement, their secondary messaging statement. I, you know, reevaluate their logo their I, so you have your logo, you have your identity and then you have your brand and that's right. kind of like how you, you shape it. And mm-hmm. I go through that process with them. And one of the really important things I do is train internal people how to respect their brand and, um, understand and uh, adhere to brand guidelines because that's a big disconnect that I've seen with almost every client I've ever worked with is that they could spend $80,000 on building out their brand and their brand guidelines and if you're not training your internal team how to use it right. and like their fucking fonts are you know serifs and yours is sans serif like it's a mess well, let and- me ask you though why is brand because we're we're all so I mean I talk about this on Instagram we're all obsessed with creating a brand and i guess i understand i'm thinking about nike for example but Mm -hmm. you know everybody talks about their instagram now is brand and and why is that so important your brand so i can't i we can dive into influencers a little bit later because i think a personal brand is something different but when i'm working with clients that have products i you know i kind of explain to them you have a product and your product should be good but your product is not what people have a relationship with. If you were this water bottle, okay, this is a swell water bottle. Yeah, it's a great water bottle. It keeps my water cold. There's a hydroflask. Mm-hmm. There's every other fucking imaginable brand. If swell were to die tomorrow, and I don't know much about their marketing, but I'm just going to assume it's okay. But um, if this didn't exist tomorrow, I wouldn't miss this water bottle. I would find another water bottle of the same function. Sure. You want people to miss your brand. People have relationships with your brand. Why you hear about it so much on visual platforms like Instagram is because it's about storytelling. How do you get people to fall in love with a brand? It's not through your product. Your product is something else. It's part of it, but it's through the way that your brand interacts with them. Like the best description of a brand I ever heard was it's what people say about your brand when you're not around. So it's like, hmm. how do people describe it? How do you describe a brand to someone else? I think that um, it's exceptionally important with um, visual platforms like Instagram. So if we talk a, a bit about Instagram, I can kind of weigh into that. Pers- personally, I'm not a social media 
um, consultant at all. I can tell people what storytelling works on different platforms, but a lot of the times it's just based on your audience. Right. Um, I think that people throw around brand without knowing what it actually means though, to be perfectly honest. Hmm. Um, I think that, I also think it creates a separation of, um, if I have a brand and, and it's, it's actually, I'm going to use Luna Impact as a story, as a perfect example. For me, Luna Impact, when I created it was, um, I don't want to say a scapegoat, but I didn't want to put my name on my work. Is and, and it's not that it's, you know, it's not that I didn't believe in my work. I was very weird about like, Aaron Sullivan, like I saw it all the time with other designers and with other people doing video, they would, their portfolios were their names. And like, Mm -hmm. it's a great, it's a great way to just know somebody and know them by their name. For me, I, I went through this weird thing where I didn't want to own my work, where it was like, I didn't want people to talk about me. I wanted it to be about my brand. Luna Impact. Yeah, Luna Impact. And then when I started assembling a team, I was very adamant about it being under a brand umbrella because I didn't want it to be focused on me. Um, so for me, it created a degree of separation. Um, that could be the reason why we see people talking about a lot with influencers is I think when you create a brand persona as an influencer, you get to separate yourself from that identity a little bit and you are not going to hold yourself responsible for the way that you look at this, you know, three years from, I mean, do you look at your Instagram a year ago and you're like, what the fuck was I thinking? Do you do that? I do that. No, I, I okay. don't, but I could see why a lot of I mean, People. I don't. Re- I don't post that often. Well, yeah. but you bring up an interesting point. Yeah. It, like to me, when when uh, Instagram sort of started, it was so casual in the sense that it was just like people didn't care about how it looked. It yeah. was just about, you know, a food picture. There were so many food pictures. <laughs> or just like smile, or just you know, yeah, obviously yeah. you wanted to make sure you were smiling and yeah. happy. But it was most very very casual. Yeah. Now it's over the last couple of years. It's become you have to look perfect. Yeah. Or you it has to have this sort of sheen or glow, the photos yeah. do, or it has to be strategic. And and somehow, much like any everything it feels like, just money and business is has taken over. It's advertising. Yeah, now it's become yeah. advertising. And and it's funny, I you know, everybody it feels like posts something that has to do with what they're trying to sell. Yeah. And I it just it I, I just find it interesting. But I do think it's um yeah, it's just a strange trend. It's a it's a strange trend and I think that I think part of the personal brand is it allows you to remove responsibility for it. And um I also think that um I, I, you know, my Instagram's not great, so I can't sit here and speak to Instagram a, t- a ton. Yeah, but it's but from a branding perspective, yeah. like it, it's what changed Instagram is was just natural evolution of the platform, and as well as just advertising. I mean, the minute that people realized that there was business in it, they threw money behind it. Those photos start looking a whole lot better. Celebrities are on there, and everyone's following them, and they're all comparing themselves to it. I mean. It's it was it's kind of just a natural evolution of a social media platform. I think what's hard is that I think people fell in love with it before advertising found it. Whereas why I think it's harder for people to separate to try to understand. Oh, this is probably an ad, or this is advertising that's influencing this. I I think it 
I think people interacted and fell in love with the idea of Instagram before it became this massive business. Yeah. Um, I think though when you, like when you got on Instagram, not you specifically, but yeah. when one got on it, you, it was just sort of your friends and casual and, yeah. and silly. Yeah. But made this shift now where people are very conscious and worried about what they're posting Mm -hmm. and making sure it it sort of looks okay and follows their brand or whatever they're trying to promote. And it's in a weird way though, I think it's um, creating negative effects because I think it's no longer... I mean, I still have a few friends that I follow where they're just posting pictures of their kids. Yeah. And, and it's, it's sort of silly. And, yeah. But that's sort of how it was for everybody. Uh-huh. And now that's, that's the minority. Yeah. Everybody is so worried and conscious that they're posting a picture that fits whatever their brand is supposed to be. And I mean, I'm guilty of it also. It's because it's an idea of who they want to be. I mean, it's... Yeah. And I think that that's when you bring in the third party factor of other people seeing it. I mean, it would be interesting to hold up. It would be a really interesting anthropological study to look at um, an, an, an Instagram. I mean, from an influencer perspective and just a regular user looking at their Instagram versus their journal. Because, right. I mean, I think that one of the reasons that we see that is because I think it is a platform where people get to go and create the re- reality that they want to be in. Yeah. And... um I'm not going to fault them for that because I create fake realities for a living in video. But like, I also, um, I think it adds a weight to it that takes away. And I mean, you can, I always hold the user response. I'm always, I'm the person though. Like I, you know, I worked in advertising. I always hold a user responsible for things. So I'm like, if you don't want to interact with the platform like that, don't, you know, I don't. I, I post once a month, maybe. I'm very thoughtful about what I post, but I'm a creative. I'm thoughtful with most of the things I do. But right. um, I think... Do I, you feel like you should post more? Yeah, you know what? I do feel pressure to do that, particularly for my business. And what's interesting is that I'm so um, anal about the... if I, I, I feel crippled in fear to start a business Instagram because of like living up to my own expectations of what I would want my Instagram to look like. And the big thing, like I struggle with this with my portfolio on my website where I have a myriad of, you know, I have electric, but I have Saunders electric bikes. I have BenQ, which is a blockchain client I have. And then we do like a lot of video for carbon 38. Those are three very different things. Mm -hmm. And just having them on my portfolio and like seeing their branding is all different bothers me. So I'm like, I couldn't even fucking manage an Instagram because even my client, seeing the myriad of my clients, like the idea of three of those thumbnails being weird and different branding drives me crazy. Right. But I do that for a living. So it's like, I'm a designer. So I'm like, I wonder if other people feel this like intense weight with theirs or if they just do it. And maybe that's the difference between the ones that are really good and the ones that you can tell are like, "Uh, this, I can tell this person just does this because they get, they get attention, they get free shit, they get to make this reality of what their life really is. Because you, do you notice that with influencers? I feel like I do, particularly with yoga influencers. Yeah. I can tell the ones that I'm like, this person just likes doing this. And like, they're just posting on here and occasionally they'll, they'll have sponsored content, but it still feels authentic versus the ones that it could be almost an, a completely identical channel 
but there's something about it. And I think that's when you bring in like human intuition, like what feels authentic and what doesn't feel authentic. They both have the same amount of influencers roughly, and they both post similar content, but see, I sound sort of pessimistic. I don't think anything is authentic on Instagram because, um, I mean, I, that's extreme thing to say. I'm sure there's a small percentage that is, but the, but because you know, let me try and explain this. It's only authentic when nobody's listening. Okay, that's interesting. You and like you and I are having a conversation mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. It's certainly authentic, but it's not truly authentic because it's being recorded so we're still actually aware of of what we're it's about as a, as authentic as it possibly could it's with awareness. microphones yeah but you and i are going to consciously talk slightly different because we're recording mm-hmm. and that same feeling goes into the moment when you become when you're about to post something mm-hmm. you are wanting something you are wanting you are aware of the of the desires inside that you are potentially hoping to have fulfilled Mm -hmm. or you're hoping to touch people in a specific way. So I don't know if it's can possibly be authentic because you're actually, you're controlling it in a weird sort of way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I know exactly what you're saying. And I feel like it's that's hard to explain this. So I don't spoken, know. If- no, I feel like that's spoken like a true yogi. Um, because I mean, is really anything authentic? It's if authentic, if it's not just our natural instinct to survive. Yeah. I mean, so you could break that down to almost every, every time you do anything. I mean like me yeah. authentically, I think authentically with my Instagram, I want people to know that I am trying to be curious, ask questions, mm-hmm. poke and prod and let people know that I'm continually being I'm not sad like I'm I'm not just taking things at face value. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of what I'm slowly trying to create. Okay. And so that but to and I think when you bring up the yoga parallel and obviously, you know, I met you in the training, I think that's what's I think that was so that was one of the things that inspired the podcast. I know yoga teachers that are their lives are a complete shitstorm. Most and yoga teachers would say this too. You know, they say I know the influencers and I know their lives, most yoga teachers yeah. are a mess, yeah. Yeah, and the like um toxic relationships, mm-hmm. addiction, um sexism, mm-hmm. negativity, you know, there's a reason why, and I've said this a lot, I think there's a lot of addiction and depression and, and, and you know, more suicide than ever. And I just think these platforms that people went to originally mm-hmm. to escape and just have fun, mm-hmm. now it's, it's sort of, you know, Facebook buys Instagram and now advertising dollars are poured into it because they know that we're just now going there in our free time. Yeah. And and it's it's so complicated now. And but I do find it interesting, you know, back to you, although I still want to hear your opinion about what I'm saying. 
you know, you work in a, in a world now and it's in a business where companies are coming to you because mm-hmm. they want their brands to be more seen. Mm-hmm. So I imagine, you know, the, the videos that you create, are you're trying to create a marketing plan for them or, or are you actually suggesting that they use Instagram more to create more awareness to their brand? That would be their... Um like marketing director. Typically we work directly with a marketing department and we come in with campaign ideas. Okay. So like if there's the the latest, you know, video that my team dropped um was a Adam Selman and Carbon 38 collaboration. In that case, it's that brand hires like the video team regularly to come in and kind of build out and ideate new big campaigns with their marketing department. The marketing department will decide whatever, which way they want to distribute it. And this is why, like, I'm not the reason why I can't speak to social media marketing a lot is because I don't, I strictly work on the creative side. So I typically like to have, I can tell you what specs you need, what works better, what performs better, especially in terms of advertising. But, um, I think when it comes and and what I always tell brands, it's, you know, it's it's, my company is focused uh, specifically on brand storytelling pieces. We use human storytelling and that's just coming from the our director is a narrative. He comes from a narrative directing background. I come from documentary background and like social impact documentary. So like human elements and human storytelling inspired the work that we do. So our expertise as a creative studio is we're not going to, well, I mean, if you pay me enough, we'll create the thumb stopper ads is what they're called, where they're just direct response People are rolling through and you've seen, you've been served them a million times on Instagram where mm-hmm. it's like just a very specific ad that was typically low budget and it just makes someone stop and it's weird enough to where they click on it or it's testimonial driven or it's something that's a direct response ad. Right. We'll do that occasionally. That's not, that's not, that's not specifically what we focus on. We focus on large campaign pieces. So uh, usually an in-house team would work specifically on DR ads. Um, What's a DR ad? A direct response. Direct response. Yeah. So, and sometimes they'll take, you know, sometimes we'll build a campaign and we'll shoot a massive one to two minute campaign. So when I say campaign video in the, in the digital like uh, landscape, that campaign video is usually used, um, you know, on their landing page, on their website. It's what they send out when they do a launch with their press release. They'll send it to their PR. Their publicist will, is the one that will get that out. It's more like, public awareness, brand awareness driven, whereas your specific marketing on a social platform is typically going to be like DR, like direct response work or acquisition work. Um, We do both. We do all of that, but our bread and butter is storytelling pieces. And that's because we come from narrative and documentary. Yeah. Um, I just, I feel like though, because of this shift in our culture and how it's so much we're become more ADD and quick, quick, yeah. quick, quick. It, we're becoming more of a less story, and it's it's got to be DR. Yeah, is it is DR. I mean, so video, so video is interesting. Like by by twenty twenty one, eighty two percent of all internet traffic will be video. So that in itself is fascinating. There are statistics that show uh, conversion rates of buying a product with a video over photography is over 64%. So it's like video is really where the entire market is shifting into video. The big problem is that it's not cheap to produce and no matter, and I'm not just saying that because I work in video, you can even the lowest budget video you want to produce is going to cost you 
money. Yeah. So it's it's interesting to see the brands right now that are deciding to invest in that type of marketing um, and, and also what they do with it. Um, you know, I have some brands that are just, they're so used to DR and acquisition content that that's all they want to focus on. And I'll consult, you know, you should really do a brand piece because I always say that, like I said, you can remove a product and someone will go buy the product somewhere else. You remove someone's brand and you want them to miss you. You want to be an old friend to them. And so that is the work that we do is evoking that emotion in other humans. Um, where they post it, I don't really care. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can consult them on it, but it's, that's usually up to them. Everything we do. And that's why I'm saying like the, sh- when you ask me what Luna Impact is and what we've done for the past year, I was doing marketing consulting. I was doing social media consulting. I was doing all sorts of like, really, it was a way for me to get in the door with clients to be able to pitch creative services. Cause there's money in consulting, but there's money and more soul in producing creative for me like I can consult but I myself am an artist so I like that process more than sitting in boardrooms um also very high energy and so uh I barely can sit on set all day like I'm like I sit there and I'm like I'll I'll art direct the set and like I'll sit and fucking help things and but I'm like I'm antsy so yeah um for me it's like has to be moving fast it has to be creative it has to keep me on my toes and also, you know, you're only as good as your team and the people I surround myself with are like incredible creatives. So really the focus for 2019 has been let's strictly do creative work. Can you tell me a project that you're working on right now? Yeah, well, we have three use case videos, which will be mini documentaries that I'm working on with a blockchain company. Um and those will be shooting, It's we're still locking the locations, but it's looking like Costa Rica, Uganda, and India. And um, those will be, I mean, so that's that's another interesting form of, of brand marketing. Okay, so there's this company, they're a newer company, they're in their series B of funding, they're a tech company, they have a patent on a specific blockchain that could quite possibly end poverty. It's kind of phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've done some work with them in the past. There's no doubt there's stuff on my website that we've done for them. We did a huge brand launch video with them. And um, for the use case videos, like that would be a different tool because that's another thing is the difference between B2B to C, uh, which is what this company does. Whereas all the other acquisition DR work that's being done is uh, from a company to a consumer right there. Well, okay. this one's interesting because it's like, you have to market to another company. It's like Salesforce, you know, if, sure. you're, if you're Salesforce, and that's just a really easily well-known name to throw out there, they market to other companies. So like a DR ad doesn't mean shit to them because unless you have such a specific targeted audience on your distribution list, that shit doesn't matter. You have to create something that's even more brand storytelling, but also functional and technical so that somebody sees this piece. They're not only... Um, inspired to get this product because they believe in the brand they're also they're also informed about how that product can change their life so that's that's fun because it's different um you know it's much i don't want to say it's harder but it's a it's definitely a bigger challenge than just going and producing a campaign that i know consumers are going to see right because there's a million you know I can, a company can give me a, you know, a consumer behavior and and competitive analysis. And then I, we can decide what would be the best for that audience pretty quickly. It's different being part of a new brand 
that is marketing to businesses because then you have to also take into account how those businesses market their own brands and what type of storytelling really resonates with them. So three of the projects we'll be working on in 2019 with this brand in particular will be mini documentaries that are showing what this specific um, application does out in the field, essentially. I can't talk too much about it because I'm on an NDA, but... um, It'll be cool. And there'll yeah. be many docs, which will be fun for me because I haven't dabbled in the doc world in at least two years. So wow. I'm excited about that. And then we're always doing, uh, we regularly produce um, acquisition content for a local scrubs company called Janu. Um, and we also, uh, Cameron and JJ in particular, do regular campaigns with carbon 38 and so with carbon what's carbon 38 it's a, a women's performance fashion that's brand. right i've mm-hmm. seen them like don't they have like athletic or athleisure yeah. is that what the word is called yeah they theirs is performance fashion okay that's what it's called yeah. performance fashion performance fashion yeah, yeah. so theirs is cool because they collab with um uh, they have their own products but they're also a reseller so they sell aloe yoga and stuff yeah and uh, i think it's like a pretty sexy women's clothing it's line sexy and it's about like badass women that's right yeah. yes it's I, really freaking expensive yeah like it's it's a very specific consumer okay um but their brand is incredible and the leadership is incredible and cool. um well, that's a big deal that you work with them. Yeah, and really, that's that's mostly my video team. I don't work with them directly. Um, they just come through Luna Impact because Luna Impact for my create. I have four creatives that work regularly. There's a lot of times that I'll execute large pieces with them with my clients, and then I bring on other existing clients. But I also allow them to have Luna Impact be their production comp- company for all other money to flow through, right. basically. So there's a lot of clients. They all go work on all sorts of stuff. And my website originally was Luna Impact's a creative collective because basically I was an umbrella for all these creatives doing things. Yeah. And um, it's so many. Yeah. You're just bringing no, but so, but I, it's funny. I looked at Luna Impact on Instagram. And there's really not anything there. No, I don't. I don't but, have a. I don't is, have a channel. But yeah. what's so interesting, though, to me is I. You know, you talk about your website and stuff, mm-hmm. but I feel like websites in a couple of years aren't even going to matter anymore, and it's really going to be all about just your Instagram and yeah. how that looks. For, do, you, do you think that's an accurate sort of assessment? Yes and no. Okay. Uh, I think for some media, yes. For video, uh, any social media is shreds video so like if a client is going you can go see someone's brand aesthetic like you can see you can go to a you know uh our director for example you go to his page and you can see what his style is immediately based on his stills or his Mm -hmm. video that's on there um but the reason why it wouldn't necessarily work as a portfolio for video is you could put snippets up there but like i don't want people seeing an Instagram shredded, compressed version of the fucking 8K campaigns we're producing. You know what I mean? But here's, I'm going to just play yeah. devil's advocate yeah, yeah. for you. And I, I feel the same about like audio and, and yeah. like I want people yeah. to listen to a wave form instead of an MP3. Exactly. The problem, but I just, I wonder though, if you're that worry about, Oh, I don't want like this 8K to be compressed down to whatever an Instagram version is. I just, I don't think people really care anymore. <laughs> It depends on the client because okay. um, it I we create no matter what the things we shoot are shot in AK no matter it's just our we have really high quality cinema gear sure. um, so anything our client is getting we're delivering in AK but again a client will pay more for that because there's more for them to work with okay. they can zoom in they can zoom out to meet the specs of fucking Instagram or Facebook you can 
cut up an 8K photo and it'll still be high resolution on those platforms. Um, so I think it's yes and no. Uh, the real the real question here would be is where is large commercial broadcast media like you know we're shooting things that can technically be commercials and it's like people are people still watching are they still relevant or right. is social more relevant they're still very relevant and now Netflix is starting to experiment with advertisements in their content so it's like they'll no doubt create their own marketing suite to do their own advertisements but uh, advertising on big screens is still very big it's yeah. still very huge and very relevant and um and YouTube now is you know 4k and they're experimenting with 8k and so it's still important. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, it's but this comes back to like, I'm a perfectionist. Like, there's a reason why you go to Luna Impact Instagram and there's nothing on there. And I think our caption is like, we're busy making content. Yeah. Because I'm like, I can't, I, I either want everything in black and white so it matches, which is like against the point of like what I should have as a portfolio for my company. So I'm just like, oh, I'd rather them just go to my website. Like sure. I'd rather them find my page and think it's weird that there's nothing on there. And they yeah. click on. to me, it's like a marketing strategy. I don't know if it fucking works. I should check my analytics on that. But um, right. yeah, I think, you know, uh, there are mo- most creative professionals use their Instagrams as portfolios. Yes. I do find it interesting, though, just your story and how you, I mean, when we backtracked and we mm-hmm. talked about in college and you created this this um, <laughs> this spray tan business. So at, what happens so when you graduate from college? You're in L.A. now, but, so, but what did you, when you graduate from college, and also I find it interesting, though, you clearly have this entrepreneur sort of spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, when did that sort of, it's a, I mean, we'll get back to post-college, but going back to sort of your spirit when how did that sort of I feel like that was ingrained in you my dad is an entrepreneur my mom was a real estate agent which is an entrepreneur sure and um what's your can I ask what your dad does he owns a contracting business okay he actually didn't for most of my life though he was a, a superintendent for um like a national construction company called United Construction and my mom was a real estate agent. I mean, they were divorced and I had so many step parents that it's kind of crazy, but okay. um, lots of brothers and sisters, lots of step parents. And I lived lots of different places, but um, the, so I'm the generation who the economy crashed when I graduated high school. So I actually, I mean, I, my mom has a long history of like mental health issues. And so I have I was dealing with that a lot growing up, but when I turned seventeen, um, we kind of had a blowout. She had another mental health like lapse, basically, and I moved out. And then that's when I ended up working full time, and I finished high school while working full time. And you and, moved out like on your own. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Um, I actually moved out before. That's kind of what happened with the blowout, but I, I don't want to go into all that. But um, anyways. The economy crashed. Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, like, no, you're good. I don't care. Yeah. I could talk about it all day. That's yeah, but why no, I don't but want that's, to go there. Yeah. yeah, but that's a. But no, that's a big deal that you at that age had to move out on your own, which yeah. I could see why that would inspire you to like. I have to make ends meet and get that entrepreneur. You have to make ends meet, and sure. you have to. I think that. Um, 
I, you know, I, and there's a lot of other people that are my age. And so I'm technically a millennial, but I am also, I'm the last generation that didn't grow up with Facebook either. Like we, Facebook wasn't a thing until I was in college. Interesting. And okay. so, um, I had a computer, but I, we had MySpace, but that was like barely, I mean, I grew up in a small town too. So like we were fucking out like four wheeling. Do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. not, we weren't on MySpace, but, um, so the computer wasn't like the, the constant go to in your life yeah, as a kid. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. And so, um, uh, so anyways, that wasn't really around the economy crashed right when I was graduating high school, both my parents worked in construction or real estate, both of them lost their homes, both of them lost everything. Okay. And, um, I still went to college. I had quite a few scholarships to go into college and I worked through college. I started sultry skin when I was 19 turning 20 and, um, it, I think it's probably a natural entrepreneurial spirit matched with just a survival skill. Um, yeah, I think so, for sure. Yeah, and so, um, and then I think when you get a taste of something like that, you're kind of like, and it's not a taste of money. It's, that's not what it is. Like I said money earlier. Obviously money's great, and especially when you grow up poor, not having to worry about money is really nice. Although, you know, hopefully one day I don't have to worry about money. But yeah. um, uh, it's more so about feeling um, uncapped. And like being able to see that you can really get out as much as you want from what you put into something. You don't get that at an hourly job. You don't. You can put your fucking soul into it and you can um, work your ass off and you can get a raise every year. And and I'm not putting down those positions at all. There's definitely like, oh, there's a lot to be had there, especially growing up a corporate lot. It's so difficult. Yeah. But for me, I'm I'm almost... um, I don't want to say impulsive, but I like to see immediate return from something. And I also feel and like you want to be in a little bit more control. Control. I'm a super control freak. Yeah. It's control. It's survival. It's also, it's a bit of gambling as well. Um, I think every contractor has a little bit of an addiction with like gambling because mm-hmm. it's kind of fun. It's unique, but um Okay, so yeah, so then I graduated college. <laughs> You're like, okay, so yeah. <laughs> I'm like so trying I'm, to skip ahead. Graduated college. <laughs> um, I lived uh, in where I went to college for a year. Can I, I ask were, a quick question yeah. though about that that world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you ever interested? Just because I'm so intrigued by. Did you ever go to Burning Man? No. Did no. you ever? Do you have an interest in doing that? I oh yeah yeah yeah. Well, I so my my mom, who's a real estate agent, sold. Uh, she was good friends with the people who created Burning Man and she sold, she brokered the water rights deal between the Paiute Indians in Nevada for Burning Man. And, um, she was very close with, you know, that entire culture that where I grew up was not on a Paiute reservation, but right next to it. So it was very much part of how we grew up. She was close to everyone that was her friends or those were her friends. And, um, Eventually, I think it was in 2004 or five, they were out of water rights to even operate Burning Man and Gerlach. And um, my mom brokered the deal for Burning Man to even have water rights to exist Mm. out there. So I grew up around that culture. Um, I never went out there myself. I was, yeah, it was just never part of what I did. It might be because I grew up around it that I wasn't particularly enamored with it. Interesting. I'm also a a perfectionist and a control freak, and I don't like being dirty. And like that sounds really stupid. No, not at all. That's that's probably one of the big reasons why I have never gone. I just I like the luxuries of a of a nice bed. Yeah, me me too. Like a nice shower and and also crowds. Yeah, I'm the same. I don't like. It's interesting when I DJ. 
I don't, I'll have a one shot, maybe two, but I, it, yeah. over like five hours. Yeah. I don't like being around crowds where people are wasted or on drugs. Yeah, me neither. Because anything can happen. And I was at a, I DJ'd a show where this guy literally just got punched and knocked the hell out for like 15 minutes. He was out. And we all thought maybe he was Whoa. dead. And I think, um, which is, I, I just, maybe it is partially control, but I don't like all of those things of, of drugs, um, crowds, mm-hmm. you know, anything can happen. Yeah. I'm the, so. I'm the exact same way. I'm yeah. like, mm, I, you know, yeah, no, I've never been part of that. Even, yeah, in college, I was spray tanning all these women who got to Burning Man. I could have gone anywhere. I could have sure. gone with my mom to Burning My mom and my sister went all the time. Right. It was just like, okay. I was it like, I don't want to be dirty. And it's not that I, I'm like, the art, the culture looks great. Like, it all, it looks fun. There's a lot of people that hate Burning Man and think it's trash. I, I'm like, it's that's cool. Like, it's all what it is. But I'm like, I like being clean. <laughs> sure. I'm like, I know myself and I take, I mean, I travel all the time and I take all my own bedding with me. Like I'm fucking crazy. That's so hysterical. I, Burning Man doesn't want me. <laughs> right. So, so you, go, so yeah. you, you're like 22 when you graduate yeah, from yeah. college. Graduate. So what, what, uh, what happens? So I, uh, I worked for a magazine for a year. Um, doing advertising. And this is still in Reno? This is in Reno. Yeah, okay. I did that for a year. And then um, I, my f- now fiance, who was my boyfriend at the time, um, he was a year younger than me. So I hung around for a year and worked at a magazine. And the goal was kind of always to come to a bigger city, particularly LA. He had aspirations of working in film. And um, we both were in broadcast journalism together. And so he, uh, he graduated. And two weeks later, we moved here. Um, I quit my job and moved here. I cashed in my very paltry 401k at the age of 20, my ripe age of 23 and, um, uh, moved here and he transferred with, he was working with Apple. So he transferred with Apple here. And then, um, yeah, I was, so you guys really, the goal was to come to LA to come to here. Yeah. Come here. I knew mine wasn't necessarily LA to be perfectly honest. I knew I didn't want to be in a small city anymore. And I, I knew I wanted to go, if before I met Cameron, I always thought I would join like the Peace Corps. So go travel. Like I always thought I would just go somewhere. Yeah. But um, so we came to L.A. and um, I would say I uh, there's a few like random jobs I had. And then I started interning at this social impact marketing agency as a free intern for three months. And um, that was, you know, an interesting experience because I had never interned and I had had like pretty like. No, I don't want to say great jobs, but I had decent jobs that paid for my home in college, like mm-hmm. all through college. Like it was just my personality. I worked my ass off, but I was comfortable, you know? And, um, and so, uh, I interned and that was an interesting experience. And then, um, when my internship was up, the, the CEO was like, Oh, I, you know, I want you to come on part-time as a designer. I came on as a designer part-time for like 500 bucks a month. And then, I, um, I think that lasted a month and then they promoted me to some other thing. And then that I was in that position for two months and then they promoted me again. And then, um, I ended up doing, uh, I was, the like doing all their communications and marketing for a few years. And then I left and went to an agency and then, um, the CEO was like, come back and you can run everything. And I was like, okay. So I left the agency and I went back there. 
Um, and that was an interesting choice for me because I always thought I wanted to work in an agency and I, I went and worked for an agency for three months and I was like, this is not for me at all. Um, it was like, yeah. So I went back, um, I helped her, uh, run this company for a year and then, um, I got, I ended up going to a company called Youth Policy Institute in downtown LA as their director of, um, communications and marketing. They're one of the largest nonprofits in the country. Um, so that was a big kind of position to go step into. I had been running a smaller nonprofit. Um, but again, it was an, it's a, it was a marketing, it wasn't a marketing agency, but it's an impact media agency. So it's still media agency related. Mm -hmm. Um, I go to this other company and, um, it kind of was everything. It checked all the boxes of what I thought I wanted where I wanted my life to go. It was like, cool, you're fucking, I don't even, what was I, 27? You're 27. You Mm -hmm. have like a fucking killer salary. Like every other person at that company that was in director or chief titles, I I was 20. They actually, when I quit, they found out how old I was and they were like, holy shit, how did we let a 27 year old? Like they thought I was in my thirties. Like I just was like, I just kind of leapfrogged a bunch of things and got this position. And, um, so what inspired you though to I'm going to quit and and create my own I was freaking, miserable. You were. I was miserable. Yeah. Like what, what so, like, I mean you don't have to get personal but like overall sort of what was I, what was what was so miserable about? It was everything I wanted. It was being having a really fancy title, very fancy salary, giant office, view of beautiful downtown. They brought me on board to build out an in-house team. Um I came on board And um, I was there a week and pitched my proposal for my team I was going to build. And um, they were like, great, we're so excited. And then slowly as I started progressing forward, um, they wouldn't, they just kept putting red tape up to where it was like, they didn't actually want to invest in building. They wanted someone who could do everything. Cause I, I don't want to say I can do everything, but I have a lot of skills. I can design websites. I can design, I can graphic design anything. I'm a copywriter. I can run your email marketing. I can run your social. I can literally do everything. And I had one person under me when I came on and I was like, cool, I need a team of at least five people built out my budget for it, built out my proposal. They hired me telling me they wanted me to build a team. And then slowly Weeks kept passing and it would be like, I remember it got to the point right before I left, it had taken two months for them to approve a job description for a part-time designer. Two months to take the red tape off of a job description. And it was like... So they were cheap. They were cheap and they were moving like molasses. And like, and I am move fast. I'm high energy. I move fast. And so... um Part of it was, it obviously like, maybe I could have gone to a different company where... They, I could have got to build my team and I would have been happy, but I was just like really fucking sick of working for other people sure. and being like, I could fucking like, and not, I couldn't run like not run their companies. Do you know what I mean? But I'm like, I could, I could do all of this and charge all of you at the same time and employ people that I actually like. Cause that was another thing is the person who worked under me, we were like, did not work together. Right. He didn't, but he came into work four hours late every day. It was like, and I, I'm just like. We can't do that when there's only me and you, man. I need you here. We literally only have each other. But um, so uh, it just, yeah, it was just a series of I'm sick of I'm sick of making other people's dreams come true. And I'm sick of doing what I do for other people. I want to do it for myself, 
with clients that I choose and projects that I like. And yeah, at first, uh, I, it's interesting because when I, that, that was, um, September, I also had like a lot of shit I was dealing with, with my mom as well, but yeah. that's like a side thing I don't want to go into because that would be a whole other podcast sure. on mental health. Yeah. But, um, but it must be, a, I'm sure a huge challenge to go from having that steady paycheck and then to suddenly, I'm just going to leave and start my own company. It was huge. Uh, I didn't have any overhead either. And I actually taught, I was talking to a few, like a group of, um, like young people that are graduating college that are looking to start businesses about this recently. And, um, if you read any entrepreneur blog, it'll tell you, you know, have three months in the bank and, um, there's like, you know, it's a, it's a proper listicle of 10 things to do to be a successful entrepreneur and not have to worry. And the top one is always have three months in the bank. I didn't have that. I had a nice salary, but my fucking, I live on the West side. It's fucking LA. Like I have an Audi, like what the fuck? And so that's my own fault. That's my own problem. But like, I didn't have three months in the bank. I support my mom. At that point I was supporting her full time. Wow. So you were actually supporting. Yeah. So it's like, I was like, I had, you know, not a lot, certainly not three months salary. And, um, so I was like, okay, in order to do this, I need to, um, get contracts with people before I quit. And, um, I remember, and it was funny because I kind of didn't know how Cameron would react. He's my fiance Mm -hmm. and he's in, at that point he was in house somewhere as their, um, like video director. And, um, I came home one day and I think he knew that like I had just been off from doing this for three months and I was just, it was just everything I thought it wanted and it was trash and he, he knew, but I'm, I'm a silent sufferer. So like, anyways, we, I, I think I came home and I was just like, I just feel like I could do this for other people. And he was like, quit. And like, it's not that he could support us, you know, it was like, we both made good money, but like, we definitely need that other salary sure, to live. Yeah. And, um, he was like, quit, you could, you can. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know if I can, like I consult people and don't charge them all the time. So maybe I just start charging yeah. these people. And, um, well, it's interesting. I just think sometimes we don't know. We don't know our what worth. to value. Yes, exactly. We don't know our worth. Right. And, and what was a turning point for me was I, I called my dad and I told him, and my dad is very, my dad is very, um, uh, conservative and like, make sure you have all your ducks in a row before you do anything. Like he's not, he, my sister's an artist and musician and it drives him insane that she like is fulfilled by playing and, and you know, he's like, she just goes to the bar and plays her music. I'm like, yeah. And she's so happy. Like who cares? You know what I mean? And, um, so he's just, he's very logical and like he grew up, I, we're Irish Catholic. So it's just like tick, tick, tick. Like you have to check these boxes. And I called him and told him and he was like, I know you can do it, but at least you'd need to at least get something lined up to where you feel secure because I know you and without security, you cannot produce good work. And that's true because of the way that I grew up. And so, um, I gave myself a one month challenge to secure $30,000 worth of contracts And, um, that's what I needed. That was like, okay, Mm -hmm. I need this to be able to at least get me through the rest of the year. And that will give me a little bit of a float. That's my three months basically. And, and then some, and so I was like, I need to secure 30 grand. And, um, I just started talking to people and I started, I reached out to people that I had knew and I kind of, and obviously I wasn't like, I'm looking to make 30 grand. Like I was (laughs) just like, what are you up to? Like, yeah, I'm looking to start my own company and. 
Um, I, I will say a few things. I would, one, I was surprised at how supportive people are of when you decide to do things on your own. I think it's really interesting. I think a lot of people too always wish that they could and they're like comfortable and, and, you know, they don't, they don't want to. Um, and I, the overwhelming support I had from people, um, the support I had from my partner, my friends and, um, and I just lined clients up and I did it in a week. And wow. I was like, holy shit, I could do, I can do this. I did this in a week without like, you know, I definitely put time into it and thought and, you know, I, I can work very fast, which is another thing. Like I can build proposals quickly. I, I pitch out 25 page proposals a day. Like, How did you get to be so skilled at these? That's the thing. I feel like you're really a good communicator mm-hmm. I mean, you're obviously really smart, but you also have to have skills. So how did you get all these skills that you could charge people money for i just collected them like a snowball rolling down a hill i i'm not a trained designer and that's what that's where i make most of my money is a design in design and my design's good like i you know i some of it i'm like i hate the some of the brands that i'll work with and i don't like some of the stuff i produce but it's um i think that is probably natural my inclination for design i mean even when i was younger i did I did shit like that. So it's like, I didn't study it. And like, when I worked at that internship, um, I I had told the CEO and it was, because it was an internship, you could kind of do whatever you want a little bit. So they were like, well, we need these and we need a designer. And I was like, I like design. And they were like, okay, well, can you try to do something? And I learned Photoshop in like a couple days. Hmm. And then I just proceeded with that. Then I learned InDesign and then I learned Illustrator and then I think and you it, taught all that yourself, taught yeah. that stuff to yourself. Yeah, wow. yeah. Wow. And, um, and then I learned how to build websites, and I, I I code, so I learned code. And this is all like when I say learn these things, I'm not like an expert, but I can do a lot of shit. And so I learned it enough to do it. And at that point, it was me being like, I need to create a lot of skills so that when I'm the director of the company downtown, that I want that position. I know how to hire and manage everyone because I know everything they're doing. I know exactly how much time it takes how to do anything. That was kind of my goal at that point. Um, So when it came time to build a business, it was less about... um, And why I say this year has been more focused on what exactly our business does is because when I built the business, I did everything. I did everything that could get me overhead to build a company. So I I coded for people. I did their email templates. I, two clients, I managed their social media and I hate social media, but I could do it. So I did it. I was listening to Anderson Pack, who's a singer. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's funny. He, he was saying the story about how it's really important to know everything because First of all, it's, you know, it's great to obviously be knowledgeable about so many different things, but then you know what's good and what's bad and you know yes. what to, you know what to tell other people, um, how to improve or, or what they need to do to make it work. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, it, and that's at that point, that was really all that I was focusing on was how to be a good leader and have the skills to be able to communicate with, um, other creatives. And it's funny cause I'm kind of dealing with it with video right now because, um, out of, out of all the services we offer video is the best. And that's mostly because of my team. And, um, 
but I still will say things and be like this. And my video team will be like, what the fuck are you talking about? And it's because I don't know that inside and out. Like I know design and other things. So it's interesting that actually what my company is shaping into is so much video related. And, um, it's still very much something that I'm learning. So this has been the first thing where it's kind of like I get to have other people teach me things um, versus me knowing them and going in. And I'm enjoying that process. Do you, um, do you think Instagram is going, because you were talking about video, mm-hmm. do you think it's going to become even more video? Oh, yes. Yeah. Because, well, I, the thing is, though, and I want to, we'll transition to Instagram and social media, and then we'll talk a little bit about yoga just because yeah. that's where I met you. Um, I find it, see, they, they brought up Instagram TV, or they created IGTV. Yeah. But I think because our brains have become um, so ADD. Mm-hmm that I don't think IGTV is actually going to work because when you think of Instagram, because of how it was created and what it's done to our brains, we think of photos and instantaneous sort of content. And we don't have the patience to look at an IGTV because our brains are, we associate Instagram with quick and fast I think there's definitely some truth in that, but I also know that um, just live streaming just by itself is actually like one of the number one things that's growing in terms of marketing trends and people. And I think that's when we talk about people falling in love with brands versus products is like people. And I doubt we're on social media as much as most people I know a lot of people that that is all they do all day. And when a brand that they like pops up with a live video on IGTV, Hmm. they'll go straight to it. And that's all they'll, they'll stop everything they're fucking doing to watch it. So it's almost like they've trained them perfectly for it because they're ADD. They're okay being interrupted with something like that. Um, Right now, IGTV, it's funny that you bring up IGTV because most of the large campaigns that we do end up on the brand's IGTV versus on their, uh, uh, plat or a portfolio or yeah. profile. I'm like portfolio. What are these words? Um, on their profile. Because I was listening to the yeah, CEO yeah. of Instagram a couple months ago, and and he, you know, they brought out stories and, uh-huh. and they brought out the video, and I because they just they keep saying that we're going towards video, and and I mean, I guess maybe photos are just. I feel like photos are losing their value or something. I think that people. I there's just more. I think it's probably that. It's, there's a, I think there's a lot of things, you know, with photography. I, I myself am a, I like visual communication. I, my favorite thing are magazines. Mm -hmm. I'm a fucking old person. I like print. I like a good, my ultimate goal is to design a book. So when you're ready, let me know. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. Like I want to design a book, like print magazines. I'm, I'm into that touch and that feel. So like, it's hard for me to say completely, but with photography, I think the big reason why they people are shifting towards video, um, and in particular, you know, when I communicate this with brands, is that video just people react to it differently. It's it's creating a false reality on steroids. Like a photo mm. can do so much, and really, like as beautiful as the photo is, and it can be a thumb stopper and can get people to stop and look at it. It's like it unless they're reading the caption. It's they'll scroll right past it. So I think it's less about 
the actual visual storytelling component and more about people simply not reading captions anymore and being able to communicate a message more effectively with a video. Yeah, I think you're right. But I also think they've created a brain that, you know, my last, or I guess a couple of weeks ago was telling me how um, his mom would look in, would know where to look in in her closet for old photographs. Mm-hmm. And there was sort of, and then my guest, Jen, was she used to love going to the drugstore yeah. to develop photos. Oh, yeah. And I that's sort of that anticipation of waiting and hoping yeah. that something would look good. And somehow I feel like Instagram has made value, has made photographs just are boring now. And to get sort of that depth back again, Mm -hmm. maybe it's sort of going to be video's job to do that because the feelings and the nostalgia and the memory, those almost like don't exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think, no, I think you hit it. I think it is video's job to bring the human authenticity back. And we also expect it. We also expect a barrier of, um, theater when we watch video Hmm. so it's almost like because you're expecting it to be fake anyways because it's cinema and it's theater and it's a story uh i think that it might actually create an opportunity to change that natural tendency to be inauthentic on instagram because it removes the veil you know it's like well it's a video so clearly it's staged whereas right now you have this is a photo and I swear I just look like this all the time. You know what I mean? It's like the photo is where you get to play with like, okay, you clearly weren't just sitting. No one drinks their cappuccino like that. No one has makeup on when they're drinking their coffee. Do you know what I mean? And so I I think that that is like, it's too uh, up in the air and, and you and people attach to it for inauthentic reasons. And because you expect storytelling to tell you a video to tell you a story, you're going into it expecting it and you know it versus being like, oh, every, you know, she's an influencer that I follow. You know, it's the, it's the same thing as when, as a woman growing up, you saw photoshopped models and Victoria's Secrets and stuff and you'd be like, oh, I want to look like that. And then I don't know, I don't know when this happened. I don't know how people didn't know this, but when like the early 2000s, when people started being like, you know, it's Photoshop, right? It's right. like, well, no shit. I mean, but I, I, again, I was very into magazines, so I knew all about that art. But it's like, yeah, of course it's photoshopped. So it was like this resurgence of like we, the non-photoshopped people. Like we want to show that, we want to show that. Right. And now we have a counterculture of like, I want it to look authentic, but I don't want it to be authentic. So it's like, I think you're right. I think story, visual storytelling like video will kind of bring back that theatrical element because we're expecting inauthenticity. It allows us to kind of regain control of. Yeah, I think you're gonna. What that experience is. It's. I'm thinking of a couple of things. I think. Um, I think you can somehow add more depth with a video. Oh yeah. More feeling, as you say. But one of my friends that I follow on Instagram, he started sort of creating something where he's talking for a minute and and he's posting that on his Instagram. And I've, I've sort of adopted that sometimes yeah. where I'll just like post a video of myself talking mm-hmm. about something. Cause I actually feel like that's the, 
a, a sort of a way where you can kind of be authentic yeah. because people can hear your voice yeah. and they can see how you, you move and your face moves oh, yeah. and your expressions. And I mean, you're still not authentic in the sense that you're very aware of what still what you're posting what you're saying and you can edit what you post. yeah but at least people yeah. can sort of see you in your natural form yeah. you're not like um posing it allow yeah the the photography with caption allows so many layers of editing and choice and I think that video kind of removes, if, if it's just a, like a UGC, like you posting something, particularly if it's a live Instagram story, I mean, it, that's pretty fucking authentic. You go on there with an agenda, obviously, but right. like, that's pretty raw. That's pretty good. But um, I think the bottom line is that it's a more, like, like you say, it's depth and it's a more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Complex uh, way to communicate. I mean, you can, you incorporate music and I mean, it, yeah. you get to incorporate audio, you get to incorporate a voiceover. I mean, whatever, there are so many ways you get to shape it that it's like, I don't want to say it's more art, but it definitely, there's just a lot more to it. And, and I think we know, I think when we see it, we feel differently. And, um, I think it makes us move and i also know for a fact that brands are investing in it which is why instagram is yeah they'll do whatever they can get money with what's going to be interesting though is like for a video company is a great time to be in business because like everyone's fucking scrambling to have good video like it's crazy um i'm curious how all these brands are gonna afford video because i get this i'll get this from my clients where i have some clients that will produce something for them and uh it'll perform well but then they might post um, a, sh- I don't want to say shitty, but shitty, like mm-hmm. UGC thing where like somebody, like the lighting is fucking terrible and like it's a terrible video and they'll post it and it might get the same amount of likes or reactions as the staged one. And then they'll go, well, I don't need that stuff. I can just do this for free and have like users on my platform do this for free. And it's like, yeah, but then that's like, that's your brand. And like, yeah, you want your brand to be for the people, but like, no, like you also need, you have an aesthetic to uphold and you have a brand. People aren't coming to your brand, to have relationships with all these people. They're coming yeah. to your brand, to have a relationship with you. It's like this weird, I, I get this a lot with one client in particular that I'm on and off with all the time. I get this with him where he'll be like, He'll put a bunch of money on a campaign. We'll shoot something. And it's beautiful. And and he'll always go, this is this is my fi- favorite fucking thing. Every client wants to be Apple. So of every course. so every client, every client comes to the table with like, a, I'm really, I'm thinking, you know, Apple. And it's like, yeah. no shit, you're thinking Apple. Of course Apple. you are. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, but if you weren't thinking Apple, like, you know, come on, can you get a little bit more specific about where you want to go with that? But yeah. the the thing with Apple is it's human storytelling. It's really, really authentic. And yeah. they have, they, they have, and they, I mean, they have David Fincher directing their commercials and like, it's just, it's so much money behind in shaping that brand. And the brand itself is why their storytelling is that way because it's, that's their experience. But right. anyways, he, he'll be like, I want an, I want an Apple commercial. Like, okay. Well, I want to, I, you, I want to talk about social media. Yeah, yeah. It just and I, I think maybe we'll we'll probably close discussing this. But I'm thinking two things. Um, I'm going to say, well, first of all, everything you're talking though about, I think social media and Instagram 
has dumbed everything down. And and so you you bring up um like these videos and then you're comparing it to some somebody who's just doing one not an 8k on yeah. Insta- you I just I don't think I in this weird way I I just I feel like our the, the quality of work doesn't have to be very good anymore to get people's attention. Um, it's it's so complicated and multi. There's so many layers to it all. Um, but I mean, what you mentioned to me while we weren't recording, you said something like, "I I, I just can't stand social media." Yeah. So you know, what's why did you say that, or what, what's your feeling about it? I don't like social media. It, I don't think it's. Um... I'm a conversationalist. I like human contact. I um, enjoy being in a room with someone and talking to them. And um, I, it's the same reason why I call people over texting them. I think I'm like, I, I'm probably like an old person in a younger person's body. But um, yeah, but I have sense that you have sort of a depth or an, or an older soul to you. Yeah, I, I and I've never been particularly attracted to it. And then after the election, I decided that I hated it. Um, hmm. And it was mostly just because I saw so many people. It it was the first time I saw the platform. Like, don't get me wrong. I think there's a lot of good in it. I think there's a lot of good. A lot of good of holding people accountable. And I mean, sometimes that can go overboard. But what I saw in the election was an unbelievable amount of people that had opinions that absolutely didn't give a fuck about other people's opinions and posted whatever the fuck they wanted and didn't have to own what they posted because their face wasn't actually behind it. They didn't see the people they were posting at and they would go to work the next day. They'd live their life and they didn't have to be accountable for the shit they were doing. Yeah. And it, for me, that was a straw of like, I just started to see, and this was before the, you know, what happened with the election. Like this was leading, all of it leading up to it. It was just like, I just saw a bubble and I was like, people are not communicating. And and it was kind of like looking at it under a microscope because it's like, this is a huge thing that our nation is going through. And this is the biggest time ever that we should be having conversations and people weren't talking to each other. And I've had a lot of friends argue with me and be like, no, I had one person in my comments once who told me that I illuminated things for them. I'm like, number one, I want a fucking survey on if you actually did or if they were just yeah. saying that to be kind. But like, for the most part, it's people just like shouting into the abyss. Well, that's why I I, I want to believe or um, yeah, believe when you say you think there's a lot of good. I, that's I, how I, I feel about Facebook. Yeah, but I think yeah. Instagram though is is doing the same. See, this is the thing. It's taking all of our free time away. Yes. We're not reading anymore. And the people that we're paying attention to mostly don't, they really should not be the ones that are, are spewing out all the information. Mm-hmm. Like everybody thinks there's, they're an expert. Yeah. Everybody thinks their voice is worth being heard, which I think is a great idea. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I love that I can have a podcast and say what I want to say, but yeah. that also could be sort of detrimental because. No, I don't know, because I think that it, that's the difference between like what you, why you interact with content and um, people like to interact with things that make them think, I mean, I don't know. No, it's I don't, hard because I'm talking about for me, yeah. I would listen to your podcast I, I prefer someone who comes from a marketing background. I don't listen to professional podcasts. Occasionally, I'll watch a TED Talk because I think they're great. That's not a podcast, but I, I guess, will. Me, I listen to. Pop- let me take yeah, it yeah, back. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. I guess. Mo- well, I'm going to try and articulate it better. 
I don't, I think most people in their free time are vegging out and they're listening to things or watching things that don't make them think. Now I realize life is challenging and hard Mm -hmm. and you need some time to just not think. But in those free time moments, people are vegging out. They're not talking anymore. They're um, just staring at meaningless shit. And then people are using Instagram to try to manipulate you to pay attention to them. Mm -hmm. And they're taking advantage of people's sort of um, lazy attitude of not really wanting to seek out the truth. Yeah. Um, And I don't know if people really have the patience to listen to a podcast um, where people are having conversations. They just sort of want to be entertained and, and just be um, not ask the deep questions. Yes and no. I mean, if you, number one, I, number one, I agree because I'm not, I don't like social media. It's for that reason. It could be because I'm like, I get on it and I can't care about someone else's life for like someone couldn't pay me to. I've never been caring about celebrities, nothing. So it's like, it's just not, I care about what is happening in the time and now for me and my personal relationships. Um, so I'm a hard person to give an opinion on that because I don't interact with it that way. And so it's hard for me to, that's not my experience. What I will say is that, um, I think that it can be an extremely useful tool in terms of giving people inspiration, giving people voices that did not have voices. And, um, but with that, it's a double-edged sword because, yeah, you're going to have people that use tools for bad. I mean, it's like Homo erectus created tools and, you know, the first tools that he, you know, he or she creates is, you know, a knife and a hammer right. and what you need to go hunting with. Yeah, people can use those tools for terrible things. So I think it's, it's people can use their tools for, and again, it's not terrible to veg out like, but that's just kind of like, if that's how you're going to spend your time. And this is just my personal philosophy. I'm like... From a marketing standpoint, we'll create, all I can do from a marketing standpoint professionally is create things that I think are beautiful and matter. And I do that. I don't create shit. I won't work with clients where I know that they're just going to want trash. Like I won't do it. Yeah. So like I can say I try to uphold that at least with the the things that I'm perpetuating on social media. I can't speak to the vegging out because I don't have that personality. I've never had that personality, but I, I see a cause for concern. And it's the same reason why, like I said, I, I got off Facebook because I could not stand people just shouting for no reason. It was, it was like imagining it visually was like the crazy person on the side of the street that's screaming about, you know, Armageddon. It's like literally that in a digital space and it's crazy. So I do think, I think when it brings back circles back to our conversation about brand, it really creates a level of like, people don't have to take responsibility for what they're posting, but maybe they do because people are looking at that shit and people are looking at that platform and they're looking at those people. And like, I've always thought influencers are fascinating because if Instagram tomorrow sold and didn't exist, say they sold it to some other company and that company was like, cool, doesn't exist anymore. Right. Like so many people's livelihood would be gone. So like, that's, that's interesting. That's just something that we've never really experienced. But I mean, yeah, you can't, you could technically say we've experienced that, but yeah. I mean, so I just I, I agree. Think, I I think I think it's a double edged sword, though. I think it does good and it and well, it does yeah. Harm. I think look, the idea that I that you and I can post something and that people can see it and that we don't have to. I mean, you still if you 
it's a lot of work to get it out to a lot of people like Cardi B or the, um, you know, Pearl Jam because of their talents and, Mm -hmm. you know, in the marketing machine behind them, they have a lot of people that will notice them. So it it would still, it's still going to take time for you and me to get millions of people to become aware of us. Yeah. But it's my, my point is, is that, yes, it's great that we can say something or post something and people can see it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think people are using these tools to create falsehoods, to manipulate, whether consciously or unconsciously. We're now um, trying to look happy and perfect all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, what started out as sort of a casual platform just to post some photos of food is now money's involved, businesses, livelihoods, people's livelihoods are involved. It's it's um, it's so complicated now. So my question would be, do you see more harm than good? Because, I mean, that's the ultimate question. I do. Yeah. Okay. I, but this is what's so... It's it's a subtle thing. I think they're addictive. Mm-hmm. They're being made by... Um, billion-dollar companies who are hiring programmers to um, manipulate you with dopamine. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it's it's then forcing normal people that aren't businesses to, they we have to compete with that. So we have to then, people are taking off their clothes, mm-hmm. they're swearing, they're yelling, because that's the only way they are going to get people's attention. Yeah. Um, so everybody's screaming and yelling, but not really thinking or yeah. taking their clothes off. Uh-huh. And then we talk, you know, we talk about yoga, and 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 that's how I met you. Yoga is a really interesting case study on social media, just in general. Yeah. So, but yeah. I think that's happening, um, like across all walks of life. It's happening across all boards. Why yoga is so fascinating is because the idea of a false reality. Because that's what you're creating, but you are, that's what art is as well. So it's like, we could talk about that for hours, but, uh, it's just the nature of Instagram is so against fundamental yoga beliefs that that's why it's such an interesting case study is because it's like, in reality, like I don't care what anybody does. Like, don't be a dick and don't be racist or sexist. Like, you know, don't be an asshole. Don't be a jerk. There's a, there's a, like sure. a poster from in 1940s in Berlin is like, don't be a jerk. And I think about it all the time. But, um, so personally, I don't care what anybody's doing, but like, I, I think why yoga is an interesting one on Instagram is because it really is, I don't want to say against yoga philosophy, but is very much not part of what the fundamentals of yoga is, which is like, number one, non-attachment, non-harm, like truthfulness. It's like every, but the, the yamas and niyamas, every single one of them is like, Instagram is like, is not in line with it. So I think that's why I think the yoga one is really interesting. Um, because it's like just against what the fundamentals of living that lifestyle actually are. But I mean, you hear that from yoga teachers all the time. Like you said, you know, you know, personally, like so many yoga teachers that just don't have their shit together. And I think it's important not to assume that a yoga teacher is like a deity and putting them on a pedestal, but, um, and we're all flawed and that's why we do this work. Right. Um, but well, I think originally people got into yoga. I mean, we're talking hundreds of years ago for good intentions. Now I feel like 
I feel like now people are getting into yoga because the people that got into yoga five, 10, 20 years ago, maybe not 20, in this, like this three to 10 years ago, it was for attention. They, they got into it um, because they, their acting career failed. Yeah. And, and becoming a yoga teacher is sort of a performance because you get to be in front of it's people. It's a complete performance. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you can sort of pretend that you are this sort of being. Yeah. And, and so. And people all, look at its attention. Yeah. And you get attention because of yoga, te- uh, teaching yoga in front of a class and, mm-hmm. and people start to look up to you. And, and, and so it's sort of, that was going on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yoga attracts interesting people, but I also think that there's good in there. But um, I mean, my yoga that, you know, I just finished my 200 hour training and in Seisha too, for our yin training, like I think those are good people who live honorable lives. Why did you want to get into, like all this stuff is going on. Why did you want to get a, do a 200 hour and you did it over at Red Diamond. I did at Red Diamond yeah. Yeah, with Leticia. Um, I have done, I've been doing yoga for my like 15 years. I was a gymnast for a long time until um, like my second year in high school. So I've, yoga's just been a part of my life for a long time. It calms me. Like I said, I have a lot of energy. So it's, for me, um, yoga is actually a creative tool. And um, when I, you know, teach, it's, all creativity based so it's like how can we help flow creative processes through the movement of body and form um and i i think i'm i it's not i will say it's definitely not the culture that i'm attracted to um it's actually yoga like yeah i've done it since i was a teenager i've always loved it and it what where i'm from it didn't have a culture like it was like no one did yoga you know it, it wasn't until i moved to la that i was like oh fuck people are like fucking crazy about yoga yeah, here no it's crazy out it's here. crazy here yeah but i think that you know i like to believe that people came here or you know got into the yoga culture i'm sure everybody has their own reasons but i like to believe that ultimately they're still trying to do the work of yoga philosophy which is you know what the foundation is and if you're not then you're just exercising and that's fine i don't yeah do that by all means get people in shape whatever but i i like to believe that like hopefully they're still on that journey i don't know and again that could be naive but i have yet i've and you know i'm i'm very weary of people and i meet people who i can tell right off the bat that they have a lot of self-work to do and you know yoga teachers but um i think everybody does I yeah. think everybody's flawed. I mean, I work in marketing. You talk about fucking people, like, it's particularly with, like, in-house teams and, you know, where I was at before I came, a lot of people that are artists and then they're having to turn their skills to be, my team included and myself, we have to capitalize to make money off of our skills. That in itself creates a layer of problematic things. Yeah. So your art is all of a sudden, you have to curtail, you have to be very specific and live within the confines of what the project is. Um, well, I think the reason why I <clears throat> have a, sort of a pessimistic outlook on Instagram is it's sort of a, a revolving around what you're talking about. We are more than ever, we're not comfortable with our reality. Oh, yes. And Instagram 
And then the irony of yoga, you know, yoga, ultimately, we're supposed to be comfortable with our reality yeah. and our present moment and all these tools and Instagram and the influencers are taking us away from our reality. And yeah. so we're not comfortable with that anymore. So because of that, we are then going to keep creating a false reality as much as we can on Instagram. And then that false reality is going to become more interesting than our true reality. So we're going to start paying more attention to our false reality, the one we're creating and all the ones we see than our actual lives. And then it becomes so mixed and confused that we don't know what is real or false anymore. Mm. And it's, um, yoga should be the anti of all of that. And unfortunately it's, jumped right into the pool yeah so i think that's interesting because it's like so so what if it does what if everybody lives in a false reality in their head um i mean other than being like subject to uh advertising to yeah. pray to prey on you but like i don't know i mean for someone Again, it's hard because I've never been particularly attracted to the medium, but um, all social media, I just don't think I'm a target audience for them. Yeah. But, um, I, I think you and me both. Yeah. 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 I think it's just not in my personality. But what I will say is like, I've been a lonely little girl. I've been, a, I've been poor. I've been, I've lived in cars and like, I didn't have those tools then. And maybe, you know, who knows what would have happened. Maybe I would have seen them in th- thought everybody's life is better than mine or maybe I would have seen them and thought hey I'm not alone I'd find other people using having similar things that they're going through that are sharing and whether it's authentic or not it's about how it makes me feel Hmm. so it's like I do wonder about that um what it it would have been like if I if I had those people and suicide rates have gone up particularly in um preteens but I'd also there's also several stories of people who have found hope and community through platforms like social media so it's in the same and then the same could be said even about like the fact that we have these tools to show injustices happening around the world and and share them and again understanding that it is a curated platform there are rules there are people that are capitalizing off of it hopefully it just makes people more aware of the type of potential things that are out there targeting them that they don't even know about and like you know, even the Facebook, all the litigation happening with Facebook's involvement in the election and everything like that, really understanding how these platforms can completely shape reality and news. It's like, I hope people see it. And to them, maybe, maybe it's just a tool where they can practice creativity and they're not creatives. Yeah. Because I do believe that, I do believe that that is something that our world needs more of is people to be able to create because Until you understand the notion of creation, you cannot understand destruction. I think there's a lot of people out there that don't have a support system, Mm -hmm. don't have good friends, don't have the things I'm talking about. So then they do look for inspiration through social media and it, and, and, and if they're following the right people, um, they could be inspired to 
try yoga or or try listening to a podcast or or try painting or anything. So I guess I think what's so scary now though, especially for parents is and the, but this is my I guess this is my original point and why reality is so important and you and I understood why you weren't so sure but you don't know what to believe or not to believe now and I think there's just a deeper level of responsibility and awareness that we all need to sort of figure out who to pay attention to yeah. and who to follow yeah I think that so I think if anything it's a tool to help you understand which reality is the reality that's one to look at. I mean, it, you know, there are lots of studies about people that as soon as they find out there's a different world out there, they leave their small town and go look for something new. So I think it's an introduction to a real, I think there's not a bad thing about introducing people to other realities. I do think, I do definitely see the harm in social media and people just like you not getting the right, not getting the right things out of it, but maybe at that particular time in their life, they're not ready to receive the right things from it. Well, and you know, before in social media, I was thinking about this, you know, there were very clear forms of information and news that we, you know, those NBC, ABC, CBS, and then eventually Fox. But the stories that led people to travel to LA to try acting mm-hmm. or move to New York to pursue acting or become a broadcast journalist, you know, it was, it was a family friend or it was a story you heard from your mother or dad or an uncle or maybe like or cinema or yeah, or yeah, yeah. yes. Or you went to the movies or maybe your neighbor moved to Los Angeles and became a famous actor. Um, so the, those stories, I guess were sort of like closer to home or closer to the soul. Now, you, you know, you turn on your phone and God only knows where the stories are going to come from. And I guess in, in a way that, we don't know where the inspiration could come from, but mm-hmm. it can also, if we're not careful, we could start paying attention to people that are feeding us a bunch of bullshit, a bu- bunch yeah. of bullshit. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, we saw it with the last election. Like right. it was literally just bullshit. Like it was wrong information and it was bullshit. But I think that it's important for things like that to happen because I think a lot of people like I know a lot of people that just stopped using Facebook because they were like, yeah. and you know, they felt they didn't have a relationship with that platform anymore. And a lot of them had kind of been like me where we were fed up with the fucking conversations anyways. But I think that, um, if anything, it like takes bullshit to know bullshit. So hopefully as the platform evolves and as like, we see things like what had happened in the election, fake news, and the way that people are manipulating platforms. And the more that users become aware of the potential harm involved, um, which another way to spread that information is through social media, I hope that it will curtail people's experiences. But again, the only ever the only experience you ever have is your own. So it's, you know, if I had a friend tell me to move to LA and I moved here and I had a shitty time, but I trusted that friend and wanted to move here and I hated LA once I moved here, it's... I could, the same could be said about, you know, I, me following a yoga Instagram person on L.A. It looks L.A.'s awesome and I move here and L.A.'s awesome or L.A.'s right. shitty. Like it's like all you have is your experience. So if you're getting something out of a platform personally and, and I, so what it really takes is a lot of self-discipline and a lot of self-examination. Yeah. What's it worth? Like you and I are sitting here being like, well, we don't get anything out of it. Yeah, we're creators. 
So we don't need to like yeah, it's sometimes, and that's yeah. not true because I actually I'm a huge on Pinterest. I'm huge. I love Pinterest. It's like a magazine. It's a digital magazine. So for me, I'm on Pinterest all the time, and I'm not a DIY person. Fuck no. I'm like I see different textures. I see different design that's happening. I will look up posters from you know uh, Russia in the 1950s, and I'm fascinated. Like I look up all sorts of inspiration from. Well, Pinterest. that's so so. That's cool that Pinterest can be inspiring for you. I tell our I tell every artist I work with to get on Pinterest because it's 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 a really interesting tool, and the advertising on Pinterest is so like. Uh, audience specific that it's fascinating so that aside like I Pinterest is my favorite platform but it's all it's it's just it's a completely different thing than Instagram like you I'm sure people can get on there and like but no one's gonna get on there and post a picture of themselves because like no one's gonna fucking repost that people are posting things that are like inspiring them to create things it's a creator's platform so for me it's like I've never been drawn to to Facebook or Instagram or anything like that but again it's because like I don't feel like I need those platforms to create things I find creation in other ways and I definitely see the the drive to want to create like I said I have my balloon impact thing I want to do something there but it's I'm also not just going to put bullshit up there that's not it's like I'm just not going to do that so it's like that's a that's a line you have to balance but it takes self-awareness to you have if it's any time it's if you're around drugs it's the same thing about drugs if you're around drugs and like you become a drug addict like i i'm not saying that like fuck you you became a drug addict it's your fault but like there's self-discipline and self-awareness and self like examination that we are responsible for as living beings in this fucking society yeah and if you're not hitting those check marks and self-examining and you're just like living life and clicking things and letting things affect you so much. Yeah, I hope you take a step back. I hope you get a therapist. There's this comic who says like, so who in this room has the audacity to not have a therapist? It's like, yeah, everybody needs a fucking therapist. They tell you to get off Instagram. But um, yeah, so I think, I mean, that's where I'll really end this is I think there's good and bad. And I think it always requires self-examination of the user and the person perpetuating things, if they are. Yeah. There's responsibility there. And I will say that it's a bit of a wild west. So that's why you're seeking, how are these people taking responsibility? Like, where's the responsibility? Which is a question. I guess, yeah. And I think we'll close in the sense that I thought it was sort of, you know, because I'm creating more, putting myself out there, um, even, you know, teaching yoga, you're putting yourself out there. Mm-hmm. I think, the, you know, there's, these platforms are created and there's no sort of how-to on how to use them and and the effects that they're going to have. Yeah. And, you know, we could say, well, it's, you know, kids' uh, kids' parents' responsibility, but, you know, they don't know. They Right now, they don't know, for they, sure. They don't know. I mean, you know, obviously, I would rather my children follow, um, you know, David Sedaris or something, or (laughs) as opposed to some, um, I don't know, Cardi B maybe. Yeah. Cardi B has a really, really interesting social media, but she's pretty fucking authentic on it. But aside from that, like, uh, I agree. Things that cause harm should have fucking user manuals. Yes. So I guess that's, but that's the thing, you know, so somebody brought up this interesting analogy about, at first, when cigarettes came out, everybody thought they were good for you. 
Yeah. And, and you know, they look, you look good and, and they raise your confidence. But then as, as it went on, people realized, oh, wait, we need to start putting some warning labels on these mm-hmm. products and we can't advertise them on television anymore, yada, yada. I feel, and she brought this up and I agreed with her. I think the same thing is starting to slowly happen with Facebook and social media in the sense that they're thrown out into the world with no user manual. The assumption is, is that they're just, they're all good for you. But I think I've, I've felt like I should sort of create a show where I'm talking to people about how they're dealing with it and, and don't take it for face value. Yeah. I think, and really like, I don't want to jump into a topic because I know we're starting to close this off, but the real harm is not even false realities. It's the fact that all these companies own all your data, but I mean, that's a different conversation to be had. So really the user manual needs to be with like understanding how your people, these things are collecting your data and how they're using it against you and not necessarily against it. Maybe it could be some advertisers would argue with me that no, it's even better because it's allowing us to give them exactly what they want. But like that doesn't allow for the self discovery, right? you know, um, which is where you could say the platform might be balancing that um, looking for self discovery, looking for different forms of inspiration, but data is the real problem. And I, I think it's interesting. Yeah. If there was a user manual, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, they stop teaching home ec classes and start teaching like social media etiquette Mm. and business practices. Like I I thought this when um, I have a younger sister and some of the shit she was doing on Facebook and she was just about to graduate high school. And I was like, when you start applying for jobs, they're going to look at your Facebook. Totally. So it's like, and she had just didn't even think about it. And like, she's 10 years younger than me. So it's like, she grew up with social media and it's like just fascinating to see like, no, no, like regret. It's like, girl, your shit is owned by a million fucking companies now because they sold your photos to everyone. Yeah. Like, especially Instagram. If you're not a private portfolio, they can sell your shit to anyone. And it's like, so yeah. that's the real scary. That's why they need a user manual. But I wouldn't be surprised if um, that already exists in schools. To me, yeah. it should. It definitely should because it is a tool and it can be a weapon, um, like any tool. So, um. It needs a user manual. <laughs> well, Aaron, um, if, if people, I, first of all, I, I appreciate you taking the time yeah. and talking to me tonight. It's very cool of you because I know you're busy. And mm-hmm. um, I think it's, I, I don't know. I felt like I was proven tonight because I felt like it would be interesting to talk to you. And I thought your story would be worth hearing and for other people to hear it. And I knew being that you're in marketing that, and since, you know, obviously we're inundated with marketing all day that, yeah. It would be interesting to hear your perspective. Yeah. Um, so people can find you, uh, Aaron Sullivan, on Instagram. Two N's, E-R-I-N-N and yeah. Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Um, Luna Impact is the company, mm-hmm. although you really don't have much of a social media presence. I don't have a social media presence, but um, I have a killer website, and I, I, am, uh, I like to talk to people. So if people are just interested, um, I like to grab coffee. Clearly, I said I'm not good at social media. So... <laughs> you take whatever i said very lightly with a grain of salt but um well it's funny i'll end this here i was looking at your website and you said um a few key ingredients i will say is that in order for me to follow this path it required a ton of self-awareness discipline and most importantly an openness to conversation yes so but i think that's sort of um lost and i get the sense that you know obviously you're really talented but i think people will respond to you in the sense that you 
want to sit down and talk to them and know their goals and what they're yeah. looking for and their plan. And, um, and I think that's just really admirable. It's really cool. It also works as a business tactic. So I think I put that in that article too, that I have a lot of uh, young creatives I work with who will not even meet with people because they'll be like, oh, I looked at this and I don't even want to meet with them or they don't show up to the coffee or they don't even want to get on a call because they're just so used to texting. Right. um, I go and spend FaceTime with everyone. And I think I say in there, most of my clients that I end up being massive clients call me because they need like a quick ad and they Hmm. were referred to me by someone who can get something done quickly for them. And I'll end up rebranding their entire company because I took the coffee date. So there is nothing more valuable than putting in FaceTime with people in business. There just isn't. Hmm. So cool. That's really, no, that's really inspiring to hear. Yeah. Um, Well, the downward facing spiritual spiral podcast (laughs) Uh, Aaron Sullivan, owner, CEO of Luna Impact. I'm really thankful that you took the time uh, to talk to me. And of course, thank you all for listening this week. Um, I'll, I'll speak to you soon.